and perhaps especially music, uh, stimulates the brain uh, and enhances development and, and learning capacity. What we have here in Luke chapter 1, at the, these verses that we're looking at this morning, particularly verses 46 through 55, is uh, probably the oldest, or at least the, uh, the first recorded, uh, prenatal song. It's Mary's song, a song that she sang when she was pregnant uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a song that's usually associated with Christmas. Uh, it's sung because it's a celebration of the, the birth of, of Jesus. And yet it's a, a mother's song. It's a, a song that is sung in anticipation of a birth. And so therefore, uh, perfectly appropriate, wonderfully appropriate for us to consider on this Mother's Day. Now, when we consider this song, there's a lot that we, we don't know. Uh, we, we don't know the tune that goes with the song. We don't know what kind of voice Mary had as, as she sang. And we don't know what impact this had on Jesus's human development. What we do know is that this song points us to the hope that Mary had. It points us to our reason for hope. Just consider the first lines of the song. Mary begins singing, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in, in God my Savior. And we might ask, where does this hope come from that Mary is singing about? It's not something that is mustered up from within. It's a gift that comes from God. It's, it's a gift that is given by God through His Spirit and through His Word. As we look at this song this morning, Mary uses metaphorical language to describe uh, the nature and the, the character of God, uh, the reasons for her hope and the hope that we can have as well. And she, she describes these things in metaphorical body parts, which is interesting because God being spirit uh, doesn't have a body as we have, at least not until Jesus was born and dwelt on earth and ascended into heaven in, in full human bodily form. Uh, but she speaks of God having body parts, first his eyes and then his arm and then ultimately and, and lastly his mouth. But as we look at these different aspects of God, we see the beauty of the message of God's grace and hope that is not just for Mary, uh, but to all of us that is a gift through Mary. We begin by looking at God's eyes. We, we see that in verse 48, where Mary says, He has looked on the humble estate of His servants. In other words, what Mary is saying is what is throughout the Scriptures, talking about God who is watching over His people. Now, here we have this teenage girl from a redneck town, married to the a village carpenter, and yet God is aware of her. God has seen her. God cares about her. God has visited her. This is an amazing, amazing story. And there's a lot of, a lot of ways that we can look at this story, and we can study this song. And there's various aspects and any number of truths that can grab our attention. But overarching every other aspect is this truth, that these 
lyrical lines are written by a young girl who has experienced God's amazing grace. And it is the experience of that grace, the unmerited favor that has been poured out upon her, that this young girl finds the answers to some of the most profound and personal questions that almost every person asks. Does my life matter? Does anybody notice me? Does anybody care about me? Does my life have purpose? And as Mary sings this song, we find that she has now understood that God has seen her in her humble estate. In other words, that there was nothing special about her. There was nothing that should bring attention to her, but in her humility, in her, her normalcy, her humble status. And God has been gracious to her. And that through the rest of her life, no matter what ups or downs that she may experience, she's anchored in this experience of God's amazing grace. And she finds through that that her life does have meaning and that her life does have purpose. And she explains it from the very beginning. The purpose of her life is to magnify God, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. Now, some of us might look at this and, and reasonably say, but this is Mary. I mean, this is, this is extraordinary. God had blessed her and given her an opportunity that was a one time in all of history. She gave birth to the promised Messiah, and that's not going to happen again. But we do see in Mary's song that grace is not limited to her or to those who are extraordinary. In verse 50, Mary says this, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, his mercy goes to anyone who fears God. And generation to generation means it's not limited to any particular time in history. Now, we might ask, what does it mean to fear God? It's a confusing concept. Is it something that we should be terrified? And we do see examples of people who have encountered the angel of God. And they were terrified as they saw the, the radiance of the holiness of God. But I think for us to understand what it means to, to fear God is probably better described uh, in our own experiences of awe and, and amazement. Think of a time where you have stood on a very high cliff and you've looked over the valley and maybe you look straight down. And this, this energy surges through you. At the same time, you have this fear recognizing the danger that is only a few feet away. And at the same time, this exhilaration that draws you and you can't turn your eyes away. It's the kind of feeling that you have that when you've gotten into some shelter when a large storm or maybe a hurricane is coming in. You recognize your own insignificance, the power that is manifest around you. And yet there is something that draws your attention. It is an awe. And the idea of fearing God is having both an awe and, and our attention being turned to Him. And Mary says that for everyone who has that awe of God, everyone who is all drawn to Him and yet fully reverent and respecting Him, He demonstrates His mercy. He pours out His grace. And while Mary was unique in the fact that she gave birth to Jesus, there is a spiritual parallel that is common for everyone who is a believer in God's gift of Jesus Christ. 
because God's promise is that the one who Mary gave birth to dwells within all who believe. So Jesus Christ, who Mary bore, now begins a new life in all who belong to him. And so Mary begins talking about the all that she has of God, speaking of God's eyes, that God sees, and God sees, God cares. And in God's seeing and God's caring, we have hope, we have purpose, we have meaning in our lives. Mary moves on from speaking of, of God's eyes, and the second thing that she looks at, and she talks about God's arm in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. And then he gives a, she gives a list of, of things that God has done for those who seem to have it all. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones, and, he, and the rich he sends away empty. And, and then conversely, there's a, she, she lists things that God does for those who are, are humble, those who belong to him. He has exalted those of a humble estate, and he fills the hungry with good things. Mary here is recognizing the world that we live in is sometimes upside down, and then she, seeing it by God's grace, seeing God at work, turning things right side up. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard has said that the world in which we live is like a, a store in which all the price tags have been confused. In other words, everything that is available in this world, there's a, there's a price on it. And that which is really valuable is sometimes undiscernible from that which is very common and, and is, is of, of less value. The price tags are all messed up. Our value systems are all messed up. In response to Kierkegaard, theologian Sinclair Ferguson says, what is amazing is that this young girl is able to take those price tags, sort them out, and to see what is really valuable. And she's expressing that in this psalm. As she's watching and remembering and seeing what God does, using the metaphor of God's arm, God who is at work in this world, who is turning things around. Mary is able to discern what is really valuable from the things that people tend to think are valuable. But the question is, what is really valuable in life? Well, if we think about it, what is really valuable in life are things like joy and peace and purpose, meaning in our lives. That's what everybody is hungering for. The question is not whether we pursue those things. The question is, where do we believe we will find those things? But those are the things that people want. Can money replace them? Can power? Can position? Now, people are prone to think that through money, power, position, or any number of things, that we are able to gain these things that are truly valuable. But Mary reveals the foolishness of those pursuits. Because while God is at work, many of the people who seem to have it all seem to be the most empty. Even what Mary says in this, in this passage, the rich he has sent away empty. In economic terms, it's, the, it's this, this, this law of diminishing returns that the more someone has, the, the less value they find in it. 
And, and think about the people who seem to have it all, who express that in, in any number of ways. Tom Brady is the multiple-time Super Bowl champion for the New England Patriots, now for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I suppose. Uh, but after one of the Super Bowl victories that he had, I think it was his, his fourth, maybe his fifth, somebody was interviewing him, and, and he said, there's got to be more to life than this. He is somebody who is at the apex of his career, considered perhaps the, the greatest at his position of all time. He's won more championships than anybody else and has a supermodel for a wife to boot. They are rich beyond the ability to spend their money in this lifetime. They are secure. They have everything. And yet this guy is saying there's got to be something that is more. It's been said that Rockefeller was once asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. And this is what Mary is talking about, that when God is at work in the world, that those who seem to have it all, sometimes they feel very empty. And if you look at even like the, the reason that the, the wealthy, the rich, the ones that have it all are on the tabloids is because they're interesting because their lives are often like, like a shipwreck. The things that we think, the price tags of the things that we think are of most important, are the most valuable, actually lead us to hungering for more because what is of most value are things like peace and joy, relationships and purpose in our lives. And I suggest that these are the good things that God fills the hungry with. Those who are hungry for grace those who are hungry because they are humble, because they don't have them all. They have not been satisfied with things of secondary importance. John Piper, I think, says it well when he once said this, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And so Mary speaks of God and His eyes, His seeing the humble and his grace to those who are humble and seeing God's arm, God at work in this world, in the lives of people and restoring value to those who are humble and who are receiving grace from him. And then lastly, we see Mary speaking of God's mouth in verses 54 and 55. In verse 55, Mary writes this, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And what Mary is referring to there is the covenant promises made to Abraham and through Abraham to all who came after him. The promise in Genesis chapter 12 that God was going to make Abraham a great nation, a great nation would come from him, and that through that nation, through Abraham and his descendants, Every nation on earth would be blessed. Mary is living the fulfillment of that because she's about to give birth to that blessing. That blessing that came through the line of Abraham is the person of Jesus Christ. Amazing also is Mary is a fulfillment in, uh, of another of God's covenant promises that goes back all the way to Genesis 3 and verse 15. Because in Genesis 3:15, God's speaking to the serpent after Adam and Eve have been removed from the garden. He says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and the woman's seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. 
And God is prophesying of a time that would come where one would be born of the seed of a woman, and yet biologically the seed doesn't come from the woman. It must be a reference to a virgin birth. Mary is giving birth to that promise that was made immediately after the fall and people into the garden. And here, God's covenant promises, Mary is turning her attention to, and she is reminded that God is faithful to his covenant forever. Even as Paul writes to Timothy, God is faithful. Even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he will never deny himself. God is faithful to the promises that he has made to his people. And Mary here is looking back to the promises of God's covenant, recognizing that they are coming fulfilled, standing amazed at the faithfulness of God who has promised grace to those who belong to him. And in that grace are found hope and purpose and joy and delight and, and all the things that are valuable in this life. We don't know how much Mary understood. At Christmas time, when this song is sung, uh, referred to at times, there's, there's kind of in, in some circles uh, a, um, a debate over the song of Mary, Did You Know? Some of the more snarky theological types would say, well, of course she knew, and you know, the questions that are asked. And I suspect that there is a truth. Mary knew a lot that was, she was told, she was informed. And yet, on the other hand, she couldn't possibly have understood she may know in the circumstances, but she could po- not possibly understand the complexity and the depth and the costliness of what she would experience and the heart-wrenching that she would experience in this life. God had graced her, but what we see in Mary's life is that sometimes grace is hard, but God's grace is nevertheless sufficient. And Mary is rooted in God's grace, and she's reminded by God's covenant promises that she can trust in God who sees her, who cares for her, not because she is great, but even in her humility, which leaves her hungry, wanting God's grace, needing God's grace, prepared to receive God's grace, and in God giving that to her, she's also given that which is of value, that which we all desire. This song is a spectacular message. It is a message about our God. It is a message about how we may enjoy and glorify our God. It is a a message of hope that when we see the things that Mary saw, it touches our souls and tunes our heart to sing of the grace of our God. Where can we find and where can we see the things that Mary saw? It's very simple. Every blessing is found in the one that she bore. Every blessing is found in Christ Jesus. He is our hope. He is the deposit of God's grace. He is our salvation. He is God who has come to be with us and to bring us with him.